It's uh, great to be here. Uh, thank you, Duncan, for your very kind words. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been to a number of events where they've uh, given me such kind words. Um, as somebody wise once said, uh, you're never as good as people say you are, and you're never as bad as people say you are. Um, thank you so much to North Point Church. You have been a fantastic support for Baptist World Aid over the years and it has just been an absolute joy to come here from time to time. A uh, question that people often ask me is where does mission, the spoken word of God, fit in with what Baptist World Aid does? Because all the money you donate to Baptist World Aid goes to the physical support of people. So where's the gospel in all of that? That's a very good question for Baptists, isn't it? Because we're all about the spoken word, so where is it? Give you a little example. I've got a child profile here from a little boy in Nepal called Arlok. Arlok will live in a um, Hindu community. Uh, his parents, his grandparents, everybody in the community will be Hindu. Uh, before our Christian partners went there, there was pro- they probably have never met a Christian. They don't know any Christians. So our Christian partners will move in. They'll start to build relationship. They'll start to find out the causes of poverty in that community and help the locals to be able to deal with poverty themselves. And along the way, these Hindus will ask the question, why are you doing this for us? And then out of relationship, people will be able to share about Jesus. Back in 1952, there were not, it wasn't a single Christian in Nepal. It was a closed Hindu kingdom. Uh, now, there is somewhere between half a million and a million Christians in Nepal. And by and large, that has been because Christian agencies like International Nepal Fellowship and United Mission to Nepal have done aid and development and then out of relationship have shared the good news of Jesus. So, yes, your money goes to just the physical help, but that doesn't mean that mission is not happening. And uh, God is doing some great things. I have uh, four child profiles with me. It would be great if I didn't take any home today. Um, So, that was an interesting passage of scripture that was read out to us today, wasn't it? There are some parts of scripture that uh, in some ways we would probably rather not be there because they are very difficult to obey, the commands in them. My particular uh, one that I find hard to obey is do not worry. I find that exceedingly hard to obey. Um, And then there's this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. I don't know if uh, you remember, but not very long ago on Palm Sunday there was a bomb, a uh, suicide bomb explosion outside a Coptic church in Egypt. Uh, quite a number of people were killed. Uh, Al Jazeera um, interviewed the widow of one of the first people to be killed in that explosion. Uh, this man was one of the security guards outside the Coptic church. Uh, This guy approached, tried to get in, and he stopped him and steered him towards uh, the the metal detector. And before he went through the metal detector, he blew up up his bomb. And so this security guard was one of the first to die. And Al Jazeera interviewed the widow of this man. And as, as the process of the interview went on, this widow says, I hold no grudge 
against the man who killed my husband. In fact, we as a church have forgiven him and uh, we forgive those who hate us. The Muslim uh, interviewer, that stopped him dead in his tracks and he was silent for 10 seconds. Now, 10 seconds mightn't sound very long, but in television time, 10 seconds is an eternity. So, this Muslim was just absolutely stopped in his tracks by the love and forgiveness shown by this Coptic widow. We do live in an increasingly fearful world. Uh, the Wall Street Journal last year published an uh, editorial with the, he- uh, the headline, The world is in crisis and there is no genius in sight. Which is probably somewhat true. Consider, uh, you know, we see on our TV all the political things that are going on now. We have terrorism, there are wars. We have nuclear powers doing some sabre-rattling, which could end very bad, uh, badly. Uh, Brexit, uh, increasingly in, increasing immorality, and so we could go on and on with our list of things that are happening in our world today. Might I say that this shouldn't surprise us, because if you read this book, it tells us that that's what's going to happen. Uh, Jesus did warn us that this would happen. And the thing is, it's not actually a new thing. My grandfather was born in 1907 and lived right through to the very end of the 20th century. So my grandfather in his lifetime lived through uh, the Great Depression, two world wars, uh, with the absolute destruction that happened through those world wars. We had the Cold War, we had the rise of communism, we had the Palestinian Liberation Organisation doing all sorts of things, we had uh, aircraft being hijacked, Uh, we had the IRA doing their thing. And so what we're going through now is not actually new, and while it may get as bad as some of those things in the 20th century, at the moment is not actually as bad as what it was in the 20th century. So what are we as Christians to do? How are we as Christians to live in an increasingly fearful world? How are we as Christians to live in a changing world where uh, Christian morals are going down the gurgler? Well, first of all, take a nice deep breath and remember that we are Christians. We know how it ends. Jesus wins. In fact, Jesus has already won. So we know how it all ends. So if we uh, take a nice deep breath and remember that, uh, if you forget everything else I've said today, just remember that. Jesus wins. I've read the end of the book. You see, we as Christians should be people of love. As we read the Bible, time and again, from uh, the Old Testament right through, it is repeated time and time again that we are to be people of love. 
one of the very few times where the Pharisees and Jesus agreed with each other was when they asked a question, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your whole being. We are people who love the Creator. We are people who love the one who is in charge of all things. We love the one who is sovereign over all things. Uh, God is indeed still sovereign, despite what our TV sets might indicate. And we love our neighbour as ourselves. The Pharisee in Luke 10 asked a very astute question. Who is my neighbour? You know what he was hoping to get? He was hoping to get the answer that my neighbour is only good Jews. That's all I have to, all I have to love. Everybody else is off, off the thing. But he t- then Jesus went and told this story that really would have had people's jaws on the ground about a Samaritan helping a Jew. Not the other way around. Not a Jew helping a Samaritan, but a Samaritan helping a Jew. And you could almost hear the people in the people's minds as they heard this story, why did it have to be a Samaritan? You know, couldn't it have been anybody else? Why did it have to be a Samaritan? They are at the bottom of the pile. They're worse than any other Gentile. Why did it have to be a Samaritan? So Luke brings out the whole bit about love very much. Uh, Luke 10 and here in uh, Luke 6 as well. Uh, He talks about, Luke here um, talks about how Jesus told us about love. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Let that sink in for a minute because that's, that's not an easy thing. Do good to those who hate you. Then um, Jesus goes on to say in that bit, and he actually expounds it what, it, what it actually means. Someone slaps you on the cheek. Offer the other cheek. Now this is not what a lot of people think it means. This is not about, you know, you're walking down the street and someone thumps you, uh, giving the other side. This is not what it means. A slap on a cheek was an insult. Uh, a slap on a cheek is what happened when you got kicked out of the synagogue. You got slapped on the cheek and were kicked out of the synagogue. It's a bit like the, uh, you know, you see the, in some of the older movies, you know, the guy takes out the glove and slaps, you know, and challenges you to a duel. It's, you know, that sort of thing, that insult sort of thing. So someone insults you, you offer the other cheek to uh, be insulted some more. Someone wants your coat, you give them your shirt as well. You're willing to be made vulnerable for the betterment of others. Talks about being compassionate. Um, I think uh, there's a few, you know, a few people here that would remember doing Latin at school. Um, and you all, all know what compassionate means. It's good, good, good bit of Latin. Com is with and passion is to suffer. So compassion is to suffer with. Compassion is not just alms giving or giving away things. Compassion is to actually get down and understand the suffering of somebody and really understand that. 
repay evil with love. It's not the way we're naturally wired, is it? We're not naturally wired to repay evil with love. Yeah, it is much more natural to plot our revenge. Much more natural to repay more evil with the evil that you have given. Because that's the way revenge works, isn't it? It's not about like for like, it's about giving more back than what you got. See, back in, in talks about uh, lending without re- expecting anything in return. This is a reference back to Deuteronomy 15. The way the law worked in uh, God's ideal society in, in Israel was that if somebody needed a loan, you were legally bound to give them a loan. Um, for you bankers in here, you might just want to uh, not listen just for the next bit because um, there were two catches. One, there was no interest and two, on a seven-year cycle, all loans were forgiven. And it was a seven, a set seven-year cycle. So what Jesus is saying here is lend money as though it is the 11th month of the sixth year. Lend as though you are not going to see one shekel returned. Lend as though you're not going to get anything back. Okay, uh, you bankers can start listening again. See, part of the big issue here, I think, with this passage is we in our Western mindset have been so bombarded with things like mills and boons and movies and everything else to think that love is about feelings. Whereas as you read the Bible, you don't see that love is about feelings. In this passage here, what Jesus has laid out about being slapped on the cheek and your coat and your and compassion and repaying evil, there's nothing to do with feelings in that bit, is there? When I've uh, done weddings, I think every wedding I've ever done, I've quoted that passage out of 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the definition of love. Love is patient, love is kind, etc., etc. In that passage, there's nothing there about feelings either. It's about what you do. Love is about action. And so if we were to love our neighbour, if we were to love our enemies, if we were to love, love people, it is about action, what we do. I even tell, I tell the married couple uh, when I do a wedding that they should be able to insert their name instead of love in that passage of 1 Corinthians 13. So people should be able to say, Andy is patient, Andy is kind. Now don't talk to Julie afterwards and ask her, ask her about that. Because Julie will tell the truth. She's like that. But Jesus actually in here points out the reality of what he's saying. He says, if you just love the nice people, if you just just love your friends, if you just love those who are good to you, what's the point of that? Sinners do that too. Sinners do that too. And we as Christians, if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ need to rise above what everybody else can do 
and do something better. Do something even more, even different. You see, in a fearful world as it is today, what we need is not Christians peddling more fear. What we need is Christians to rise to the occasion and shine. We need Christians to shine. We need Christians to stand up and show that there is a better way. That's what we need. You see there, in Paul goes on and talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Uh, Jesus says, by their fruit you will know them. And in a fearful world, in a world where things are changing, in a, th- a world where, things, where the world seems to be uh, hell-bent on going and destroying itself, we need to display the fruit of the Spirit. Now, can you go home and uh, make a little resolution? You know, as from today, the 7th day of May, uh, in the year of our Lord, 2017, I'm going to display the fruit of the Spirit. Sorry, it doesn't work quite that easily. Be nice if it did. But the thing is, we have to, to do that. We have to open ourselves to the Spirit of God and let Him control our lives. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of our own determination or the fruit of our own hard work. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You see, we as Christians are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, both word and deed. If we want the world to change, it is the loving gospel that will change things. It is not putting negative posts on Facebook. It is not uh, giving in to fear. That song that uh, we sang before, that new one, um, this great song, thanks Dale for picking that. We are no longer a slave to fear. We are, I am a child of God. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Too often in our songs we can sing the words and sort of go into autopilot and not, not take in what we're actually singing. I think that you know, if you uh, take away that song too, that's a great song, I love it. You know, we're no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Can it be done? Can we actually live lives that shine above what is happening around us uh, and, and do great things? Well... Christians have been doing it for 2,000 years. Uh, In the the 250s in the Roman Empire, there was this huge plague that went through the whole empire. People were dying all over the place. Pagans, as soon as uh, pagans would see their family members, somebody becoming sick, what they would do was throw them out on the streets so they didn't get sick and uh, many even moved out into the country to try and escape this plague. You know what the Christians did? The Christians went and found the people who had been abandoned on the street, took them in and cared for them and ministered to them. Even though they knew that that meant in all likelihood they would get sick. Because love dictates that you put 
your neighbours first, that you care for those people, even if it would cost you your life. You've got to think about that. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? You die? Well, you die and you end up in the presence of Jesus. I can't see how that's all that bad, actually. It's a good thing. Even today, as we speak, uh, our Baptist brothers and sisters in Lebanon are doing great things for God. God is doing great things through them right at this very minute. Five years ago, the Syrian war, uh, civil war broke out and uh, people, refugees, streamed across the Lebanese and the Jordanian border uh, in their millions. You know, something like four million refugees streamed across the border. Um, the population of Jordan doubled as these, uh, as these refugees streamed across. The Lebanese Baptist Convention decided that they were going to love the refugees, that they were going to do good for them, even though they were Muslim, even though they were the enemy. Syria had invaded Lebanon not that long ago. And so they started to help the kids with education. They started making sure people had access to uh, medical help. They made sure all of these sorts of things happened. One of our Baptist churches in Lebanon has grown from seven to 700 members in the last few years as they have unconditionally loved their Syrian neighbours. Another Baptist church uh, now runs a school with 500 Syrian children in it. And one of my favourite stories is... um, a Lebanese Baptist pastor approached a Muslim leader and said to him, can you help me uh, introduce me into some of these Syrian people so that, I can, so that we can help them? And the, uh, the Muslim leader says, okay, but don't tell me anything about Jesus. And the guy says, okay, you know, it's fine, we just want to love the people, we just want to help the people, we just want to make sure they're looked after. So he did. Twelve months later, the uh, Muslim leader said to the Baptist pastor, okay, you can tell me about Jesus now. Um, So he did, and he stormed off, thinking, if you told me this 12 months ago, I would have killed you. Uh, Now that Muslim leader is a Christian. Just because these Lebanese Baptists have decided to love their neighbours unconditionally. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of going visiting uh, some of some churches and uh, some of our, our work right up in the very north of Cambodia, the poorest, driest area of Cambodia, an area where people still think that Pol Pot was a good guy. Um, and right up in the very north there, Christians have gone up and started to love the people. Now, to get to some of these communities, they've got to uh, drive through uncleared landmines to get to some of these communities uh, to minister to them. Um, and they're just doing a fantastic job. These Christians are going out into these, uh, into these Cambodian um, communities and doing wonderful things, loving the people unconditionally. And now there is a fledgling, fledgling church up in some of those communities uh, as they minister unconditionally. You see, people in much worse situations than ourselves, Christians in much worse situations than ourselves, are shining and doing, and God's doing great things through them. It's time for we in the West uh, perhaps to be a little less comfortable uh, and shine 
a little more. We don't need to share negativity. We don't need to share hate. We need to share love and build relationships. We need to shine by being generous and compassionate. You see, sponsoring a child isn't about, you know, isn't just about, uh, you know, giving up some money or whatever. It's about being compassionate. It's about reaching out in love to people. I started today and I talked about that Coptic widow who lost her husband in a terrible, terrible thing that happened in, um, in Egypt. Honestly, ask yourself this honestly, would you be able to shine just like that Coptic widow if it happened to you? If there was a suicide bomber came here this morning and killed some of your loved ones, would you shine in that situation? In some ways, I think we in the West have had it too comfortable for too long. The Coptics have been persecuted, well, forever. We can do, we can as Christians always do a better job. And may I encourage you, as we, uh, as the world changes around us, to remember who we serve. We are children of the living God. We have been uh, adopted into the Creator's family. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. It is time for us to shine. It's time for us to be different to the world in a good way. Remember the words of that song before. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, when you came to be part of this earth, when you came to uh, to walk this world as a human being, you showed us a way. You showed us a way to be able to live in a fearful world uh, in a way that is full of love and compassion. Lord God, I pray that we, your followers, we, your children, would emulate what Jesus did in this world, that we would emulate how the first disciples lived, that we would emulate how um, you know, the Coptics live, how the uh, Lebanese Baptists are living right now. Lord, I pray that we would focus our attention on what is unchangeable, is eternity in our God. That we would remember that we know how the story ends. That we would remember that we are to be people of love. And that we were to love, are to love all, that we are to love our enemies. And so, Lord God, as uh, um, we, your people, go out into this world, may we shine for you. May we stand for you in such a way that uh, people will, you know, even if they uh, don't uh, believe what we believe, would have to grudgingly say, these are people of love, these are people who care. So, Lord God, I also want to pray your blessing upon the North Point Baptist Church. I thank you for the witness of this church. I thank you, Father, for the many years that this church has, uh, has served you. And, Father, I pray that you would continue to work through this church for the extension of your kingdom. 
And because of um, how this church and the way it opens itself to you, Lord, may you do great things through this church and may many people come to know you as Saviour. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.